Well, good morning, Keystone. Uh, we have been working our way through this series on the Psalms, uh, which is what we're doing for all the month of January. Uh, so we've got this morning and then two more weeks where we're going to be spending the Psalms. Uh, obviously, if you know the book of the Psalms, you know that we're getting nowhere close to covering all of them because there's 150 of them in there. But, but we're trying to at least give a snapshot of some of the things the Psalms tend to emphasize. Uh, I think one of the incredible things about the Psalms and one of the reasons why I would say it, it, it tends to be a favorite book for a lot of people is because the, the Psalms both ascend to the heights of human experience here on this earth, trying to capture the, the type of joys and, and it all in wonder that we might experience at times. And yet they also plumb the depths of human experience here on earth walking through the the despairs and sorrows and difficulties that we face here on this earth. The the Psalms in some ways are are almost like going for a long hike as you read through them. That that at one moment you might be standing on a mountain looking out for miles and miles, seeing beauty and and just standing in awe and wonder. And and yet at another moment on that hike, you may be in the deepest valley and, and all you can see is how big the mountain is in front of you and how far you have to go yet. In fact, let let me just capture this or try to capture this, show you this from a couple different Psalms, comparing two Psalms we find in this book, starting with Psalm 150, which says this, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty deeds, Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I mean, this is someone who's like throwing a party because they're so amazed at how good God has been and what he's like. Now compare that with what we find in a psalm like Psalm 77. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion. See, I I don't know that there's any other book in the Bible that's so authentic in many ways with both the joys that we walk through in this life and the sorrows and struggles that we all walk through in this life. And I think in this way, the book of Psalms can provide us with a pathway that we can walk through joys, sorrows, and everything in between with our eyes fixed on God in the midst of them. And this morning, we're going to specifically look at how the Psalms provide us with a pathway through our struggles, our difficulties, our sorrows, and more. But by looking at a Psalm of Lament, maybe one of the most famous ones, uh, Psalm 13. So if you have your Bibles, that's where you can open up this morning. Laments actually make up about one-third of the Psalms. Just just stop and think with me about that for a moment. One-third of the psalms in this book we have of psalms deal with sorrow, suffering, pain, difficulty, fear, and more. 
One third of them deal with those type of things. Why, why is that? Well, I think a, a person by the name of J.A. Metters gives a good response to that question when he says, because we are all either suffering now or know someone who is. Lamenting is incredibly relevant at this moment. Cancer, death, illness, heartache in our families, betrayal, loss, injustice in the world, personal fears. In all these dark valleys, God gives us a proven pathway to himself in lament. I love that last line. In all these dark valleys, God gives us a proven pathway to himself in lament. Because I think one of the dangers for us is that in the midst of struggle and hardship and sorrow, we think I've just got to keep it in and push it down. We mistake this idea that to to be a Christian or, or what we think maybe to be a good Christian is to put on a face and act like everything's okay even when it's not. If that's true, then one-third of the Psalms are not written by good Christians because they don't put on a face. They lay out their struggles and sorrows with blunt honesty before God. And what we find, I think, especially in the laments is this, that we give voice to our struggles and sorrows to seek God's face and his grace in the midst of them. We give voice to our struggles and sorrows to seek God's face and his grace in the midst of them. So so here's where we're headed this morning. We're going to look at Psalm 13, this lament psalm from David, to to see the pathway he lays out for us in lament. And along the way, we find kind of four markers in this pathway. Turning to God in prayer, giving voice to our complaints, uh, making our requests known with boldness, and then choosing to trust God even as we walk through these things. I'm pulling here and and other places this morning, as you'll see, from a a book by someone named Mark Vogrop, uh, which is titled Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament, uh, which I would highly recommend as a farther resource in this area of lament. I I included it on the back of your notes along with a couple other resources if you're interested in pursuing that. But but let's look together at Psalm 13 this morning. Uh, Let me pray for us before we read these words. Father, you are a God who promises to be near to the brokenhearted. You're a God who says that you are a very present help in times of trouble. God, we we look to you, or we, we want to look to you, I should say, in the midst of everything we face in this life, in the midst of all the highs and lows, everything in between. We want to be people who continually are fixing our eyes back on you. And so I pray that this morning that's exactly what you would do through your spirit. You'd fix our eyes back on you in in whatever we're facing, wherever we're at, whether it's we are on those mountains or whether it is that we're in those valleys or anywhere in between. Fix our eyes on you, we pray. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. 
Lest my enemies say I've prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The the first part of walking this pathway of lament in, in sorrow and difficulty and struggle is I think both the the most obvious and perhaps the most difficult. And and this is simply what it is. Turn to God in prayer. Like we we should never miss the obvious truth about pretty much all the Psalms, but, but obviously Psalm 13, that it's a prayer to God. It's David turning to God in some struggle, some sorrow, and there's lots of examples from his life that maybe this would apply to, and seeking God in his face through prayer. Turning to God in prayer is, I think, the most obvious thing we should do in struggle and sorrow. That when life falls apart, our our need for God becomes more abundantly obvious. That, That when things go terribly wrong, we, we find all we, we can do is call out to him and pray. I, I would guess uh, most of you are familiar with the name Damar Hamlin. And if you're not, uh, I'd be surprised because it's been a name that's been said over and over and over again over the past two weeks. Uh, Damar Hamlin is a football player who several weeks ago uh, suffered cardiac arrest on national television on Monday Night Football. And, it, and if you happen to tune in to that game afterwards or, or any other really sports show in the next day and a half, here's what you would have heard, I'm guessing. Some phrase like this, all we can do is pray for this young man and his family. I've never heard, never heard prayer be mentioned so many times on national primetime television like I did in those moments. Now, I, I don't know if that's because people actually, like, believed we should pray for him or if it's just like, we don't know what else to say and we've got to say something here. But, but I do think it made something clear that when things go terribly wrong, there's the sense in which we can't do anything but pray. And, and you've probably experienced that reality in your own life at times. That, that as things have gone wrong or things have seemed to start to fall apart, you, you sense your need for God, your need to call out to him in desperation more and more clearly. But we should also see with that that while prayer might be the most obvious thing, it can also become the most difficult thing for us to do in those moments. Turning to God in prayer can become the most difficult thing for us to actually do in struggle and sorrow. Have you, have you felt that before? Because I, I know that I have. That, that there may be certain struggle or difficulty in your life. Where, where in the beginning, prayer was kind of your lifeline. Where it's like, I've got to keep calling out to God. But the longer it goes along, the more difficult it becomes to actually keep turning to God in prayer in the midst of that. I think, what, why is that? Why is what started as the most obvious thing be, become the most difficult thing? Because as time wears on, it can feel like prayer is making no difference, right? If we're, if we're honest, isn't that one of the reasons why prayer becomes so difficult, especially in sorrow and struggle, that, that, that it just feels like it, it isn't making a difference, and, and it feels that way more and more the longer we may walk 
through something. And, and this is where I think it's really important for us to see two things about this idea of lamenting and turning to God in, in prayer or in the midst of sorrow and struggle. The first is that it is an act of faith. To call out to God in struggle and sorrow is an act of faith where we're saying over and over again, God, though you have not done anything yet that I can see here, though it seems you don't hear me, I believe you care. I believe you're listening. And so I'm going to keep turning to you again and again. Like that's an act of bold faith where it's like, I don't know what you're doing, God, but I'm, I believe you care. So I'm going to keep turning to you. And, and then the other thing for us to see is that l- lament is not this quick fix where somehow it makes everything right. Like if we walk through this pathway, everything all of a sudden solves itself. Here's how Mark Vogrop words it. He says, you, you need to know that lament does not always lead to an immediate solution. It does not always bring a quick or timely answer. Grief is not tame. Lament is not a simplistic formula. Instead, lament is the song you sing, believing that one day God will answer and restore. I would guess that there are likely people even here this morning who the most obvious thing, prayer, has become the most difficult thing. The thing is, like, I, I just, I don't want to keep doing it because it seems to make no difference. And, and part of what I would hope this morning does, or part of what I hope God would do through this morning, is to just enable us to turn to him one more time in whatever that area is. Th- though maybe we feel like I've turned to God a thousand times here, and nothing's happened, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn to him again because I believe he cares deeply for me. But, but then that leads to the question, well, well, as we turn to God in prayer, what, what do we say? Which gets to the second marker of lament. Give voice to your complaints. Give voice to your complaints to God. David, David speaks with a type of raw honesty in verses one through two that if we don't just brush over it, might make us uncomfortable that someone's talking to God in this way. Like some of the laments, if we read through them and we, and we just kind of soak in the language, it has the power to make us a little bit uncomfortable. But, because I, th- I think that we wonder at times, like, wait, complain to God? Can I do that? Is that something I'm allowed to do? Or am I going to get in trouble for that? Can I really speak to him what I'm feeling and lay it out there for him? And we should see the, the Psalms of lament. God is giving us permission to be honest with him. God gives us permission to be bluntly honest with him. So, so we can say things like, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? Like I look around and everyone else seems to be doing fine here. and I'm not. God, God have you just forgotten about me? Because it sure seems that way right now. We, we can say, how long will you hide your face from me? God, God, it feels like you don't care about me right now. Like, it feels like my prayers are just hitting the ceiling. It feels like you're content to just kind of sit back and, and watch. We, we can say, how, how long must I take counsel in my soul? God, God, it feels like all the thoughts that run through my head here are dark. Well, it feels like I'm all alone. We, we can say, how long must I have sorrow in my heart all day? God, why does it feel like I face disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, and, and there just seems to be no, no joy right now? We can say, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? 
God, it feels like you're paying more attention to the people who don't care about you and disregard you. Seems like life is going well for them. Everything's going right for them while everything goes wrong for me. Like, I think there are times where we're just, we're scared to be honest with God maybe. That we're scared we might say the wrong thing or, or offend him or do something wrong if we're really bluntly honest. Even though God already knows what we're feeling in the midst of that anyway. And he's inviting us, I I want you to pour out your heart to me. That's better than giving me the silent treatment in the midst of it. I'm not the best person at expressing my feelings often. Uh, And this became pretty obvious, or at least more obvious, uh, when I got married. That that there would be times where I was maybe frustrated or upset. And I think I... I can't say what I'm thinking here or what I'm feeling here be, because I might make things worse. Or, and, and over and over again, my, my wife has said to say, Kyle, it's far better for you to actually say what you're feeling that, than it is to just shut down and give the silent treatment. Laments are God's way of teaching us. It's far better for us to tell him what we're feeling in the midst of what we're going through than to shut down and give him the silent treatment because he knows that that would be far worse than us maybe saying something that that might be wrong in in the midst of them. And then I think the, the other thing with this is that God not only gives us permission to be honest with him, he gives us language to be honest with him. In the laments, God is teaching us how to complain to him. That's incredible. What kind, of, what kind of God would do that? Teach us how we can complain to him. Like God knows this is a skill that we need to be able to walk through difficulty in this life. If, if you are a parent, I, I know that there are certain skills that you teach your children and pass on to them because you know these skills are important to be able to live well. Maybe it's as simple of a skill as brushing their teeth, and you, and you teach them how to do it. Maybe it's something more, more uh, not difficult, but more pressing, like how to work hard as they grow up, how to manage their money well, eventually how to, how to drive a car, and all sorts of other things. So you're like, these are skills that, that my child needs to know if he or she wants to live well. God in the laments is teaching us the skill of how to complain to him because he knows it's a skill we need if we're going to live well in the midst of struggle and sorrow and difficulty. And so God teaches us to ask our questions and air our frustrations. And how we do that well is we wrestle with the tension or the gap between what we believe to be true of God and what feels true in that moment. See, that, that's complaining that springs from belief. That there is a way for us to complain that would probably be wrong, that springs from unbelief, where we're just accusing God, mocking him. But, but the way that we complain well is saying, God, I, I believe this is true of you, but why does it feel like this right now then? We wrestle with that tension. Lament gives, gives honest language to the gap between those two things. I, I can't tell you how many times, as over the past uh, eight years, my, my wife and I have walked through 
infertility and loss and the process of adoption and and more. I, I can't tell you how many times there was something to the effect on our hearts or lips where we were, were saying or praying, God we, God, we know you're good, and we know you love to give good gifts to your children. Like, the Bible says that. But, but why? Why does it feel like you're continuing to withhold this good gift from us then? Attention. God, we know you're good. We're not doubting that. But, but why does it feel like you're not good in this area of our lives? I, I, I can't tell you how many times, if there are multiple nights in a row for me where I, I'm, I'm not able to sleep and, and I grow so weary and so tired that, that there's something on my lips to the effect of, God, I know your word says that you give sleep to your beloved, that you give sleep to those who you love. Why, why am I awake again and not able to sleep, God? Feels a little bit like you, you don't love me in this moment. I know you do, but, but here's what it feels like. See, Lament wrestles with this tension of God. Here's what I know is true of you, but here's what it feels like in the midst of whatever I'm walking through right now. That, that we can ask, God I, God, I believe you are blank, whatever that might be, but why then is this happening? God, I, God, I believe you're blank, you're, you're faithful, you're gracious, you're good, you're powerful, you're sovereign, but, but then why am I facing this, right? To give honesty to that gap and lay out how we're really feeling with God. And once we've done that, then we move on to this next step of approaching God with renewed boldness, making our requests known to him. That's the third marker we can see as we move to the next part of the psalm. Make your requests known to God. There's this shift from saying what is wrong to asking God to intervene and act and change what's wrong. And we can see that shift happen in verses three through four of this song. Laments don't just involve honesty in complaining and saying how we're feeling before God. They also involve honesty in asking him what we want to see him do. That, that, that if it's in the midst of something and what we most need from God in this moment is just strength that we ask him for it. That, that we say, what, what is the thing that I most long to see God do here? And we ask him for it. That we think, what is the thing that feels impossible to me here, but, but I know, God, it's possible with you, and so I'm going to ask you again for it. That we're honest in, God, here's what I want to see you do, and I know you can do it. And from this psalm, we find two encouragements, I would say, for how to go about this. That first of all, we ask God with boldness. We ask God with boldness boldness. And so David says in verse 3, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. In the actual wording there of this verse, there's no end in between those. It's just, consider, answer. It's just boldness. God, God, I need you to work here. It's coming to God and saying, only you're able to do something about this. And so I'm going to ask you to do it. We don't approach someone with boldness unless we actually believe they're able to do what we're asking them to do. We don't approach someone with boldness unless we actually believe you are able to do what I'm asking you to do. Whether you do it or not, I don't know, but you're able to do it, right? Here's how I think about it. I don't go to a plumber asking them to fix a broken bone in my body. 
but I absolutely will go to a doctor and ask him or her to do it. But neither will I go to a doctor and ask him or her to fix a broken pipe in my house. But I absolutely will go to a plumber and ask him to do that. Why will I make requests boldly to one person that I won't make to another? Because in one case, I believe someone is actually able to do something about it. Like, that's the type of boldness we, we come to God with our requests in the midst of our sorrow and struggle. God, you can actually do something about this. And so I'm asking you again, even though maybe I've asked you a thousand times already, consider, pay attention, look at me, please answer me. And as we do that, we then also ask God like he's our only hope. David, David calls out, light up my eyes. Light up my eyes, God which seems to be a prayer for God to act and change his circumstances in some way. That all that's happening in his life feels dark and difficult. And saying, God, God, do something where you shine light into this situation. And, and notice that, that David recognizes if God doesn't act, things are only going to go from bad to worse. Because he goes on and he says, I'm going to sleep the sleep of death. My enemy is going to prevail over me and my foes will rejoice over me. God, if you don't do something here, it's only going to get worse or continue to be bad. That, that when we're facing something in life that, that makes us feel hopeless and life just feels bleak, that we approach God and say, God, you're my only hope here. You're my only hope here. If you don't do something, it's just going to get worse. I think we should call out to God in our sorrow and struggle like we would call 911 if our house was on fire. Here's what I mean by that. How does that phone call go if your house or my house is on fire and you call 911? Uh, excuse me, uh, if you have time, could you please uh, send someone out? Could you notify the fire company? If, if it's not too much of a bother and it's not too much trouble, uh, would, would you be able to just notify them so they could come? My house is on fire, and, and, and it'd be helpful to have someone. No, how's that phone call go? Tell the fire company, my house is on fire, and if they don't show up, it's burning to the ground. Like, they're, they're my only hope here. That, that's how we can approach God. God, you're my only hope in the midst. And, and that honors him, I think, because we're saying, God, I, I can't do anything. No one else can do anything here. You're my only hope. And so I'm coming to you asking, please do something here. Please work for me. Please strengthen me. Pl please help me because I've got nowhere else to look to than you. Now, he, here's the difficulty, though, I think. Sorrow and struggle have a tendency to sap our boldness and our hopefulness, Right? They have a tendency to sap our boldness and our hope for hopefulness in the midst of them. Which is why it can be a really, really good thing and important thing for us to go to other people and invite them into our struggles and ask them to pray for us. Because they can pray with a type of boldness and hope that we feel we're not able to muster anymore. They can pray with a type of faith that then might impact us and renew a type of boldness and faith in us as we hear them praying for us. And, and this is also where I would say we, we should never underestimate the power of us praying for someone else in the midst of their sorrows and struggles, especially praying with them, B because you might be able to pray in such a way that they can't 
and that might have a huge impact on what they're facing or how they're thinking about it. Uh, again, here's what Mar- how Mark Vogerot puts it. You might think that praying with someone in pain is a small and insignificant thing, but it's not. You'll likely be able to ask God for help with a different level of faith than your hurting friend can muster. The boldness of your request and the confidence in your approach to the throne of grace can be a great help. You can pray with a firm belief that creates strong faith in others. I would say th- this is also where the lament psalms can be helpful to us as a jumping point, where we can read them and pray them and, and find a type of boldness in them that then might rub off on us to be bold and hopeful again as we walk through this. And then a- after we've made our request known to God, we-, we come to the final part of this path of lament. Choose to trust God. Choose to trust God. As you, as you read through the Psalms and you read laments, you'll see they often turn on a hinge with a word like yet, however, but. And so we get to Psalm 13, 5 through 6, after David's voiced his complaints and made his request known, and he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully. It's important to see that this is a choice that we make in the midst of our sorrows and struggles. And I think it's a choice we make over and over and over again, not just one time where we say, even though I'm facing this, even though I'm walking through this, even though nothing seems to be changing, God, I am going to trust you and what I know to be true of you. Mark Vogrop says, the trust is believing what you know to be true, even though the facts of suffering might call that belief into question. Believing what you know to be true, even though the facts of suffering might call that belief into question. This is not a trust, I should say, where we just kind of cross our fingers and say, I hope it all works out. This is a trust that is rooted in what we know and believe to be true of God. And we can see even from David here in these two verses, three things this trust is rooted in. One, it's a a trust rooted in God's character. David says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. David's rooting his trust in what he knows to be true of God. God, you're a God of steadfast love. You're a God of unfailing mercy. You're a God of un, unflinching loyalty. And so I'm going to root my trust in that. This is where it might be helpful to recognize laments usually aren't teaching us anything new about God. They're simply taking what we believe to be true about God and applying it to our suffering. L- laments are where the, the sturdy wheels of theology meet the dirt road of real life. And theology is not just something we kind of believe up here, but it becomes this is what I need to be able to make it through whatever I'm walking down right now. And as we rehearse what we know to be true of God, we find our hearts starting to be able to trust him again or continuing to trust him. It's also a trust rooted in what God's done in the past. David goes on to say, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. That word salvation can also just mean deliverance. David could look back over his life and see, God, you've delivered me time and time and time again. 
And so I believe you will do it again, even though I don't know how you're going to do it. It's a trust that says something like this. God, I don't know what you're doing here, but I know what you've done back there. And so I'm going to trust in that. I don't know what you're doing here, but I know what you've done. And so I'm going to keep trusting you in the midst of this. And then it's a trust rooted in God's future promises. David says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This can have the idea of remembering how God has been, has been good to us even in the midst of suffering, but it can also have the idea of looking out to the future and saying when the story is all written and done, God, I know that ultimately the story will be of how you've been abundantly good to me, better than I could imagine. And so I'm going to sing even now, and I know I'm going to sing in the future too. Here's a way that, that I've tried to rehearse that truth in my mind at times. God writes a better story for my life than I would have written for myself if I could have chosen how to write it. God writes a better story for my life than I would have written for myself. That does not always feel true. But if we believe in the promises of the Bible and specifically the gospel, that has to be true. That has to be true. It might not feel true, but it has to be true if we believe in the gospel. And here's where I want us to see, do you see how these three things actually in lament draw us to fix our eyes back on God and the gospel? Because it's in the gospel that I find God's steadfast love most clearly. And I can say, God, if you were willing to die for me, then I know you care for me and your love is unflinching, no matter what's happening in my face right now. It's in the gospel that I find God's greatest act of faithfulness. And I can say, God, if you were willing to suffer and die to save me from sin, then surely you will save me from this suffering that I'm walking through now. And it's in the gospel that I can see the worst things eventually turn out good because death gives way to an empty tomb. See, in lament, God is giving us language to not only vent, be honest, come to him with requests, but also to renew our trust in him. Where over and over again, he's saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. As we get ready for the birth of our second son, I've thought back a lot to the birth of our first son. He was born in Florida. That's where we adopted him from. And so about two weeks after we were down there with him, we had to drive back home 1,000 miles and about 20 hours with a two-year-old infant, or sorry, two-week-old infant. There was a lot of crying on that trip, uh, and not just Oliver. There was other people crying in the car as well. It was rough. Like, and, and I just think back, to what, what was going through Oliver's mind in the midst of that? Like, he was likely wondering, what in the world is happening, and what in the world are they doing to me right now? Right? Why am I in such an uncomfortable car seat for so long? Why does it seem like they're ignoring my tears? When is this ever going to end? And, and I wish in the midst of that car ride that, that I had some sort of language where I could communicate to him, I, mean, I, I know you're upset. I know this doesn't make sense. I know it's confusing to you and you're wondering what in the world is happening. But trust me. I care for you. I really do know what I'm doing. This really won't go on forever. We're going to make it home. 
Lament is the language God gives us to be able to say, trust me, trust me. I, I, I know what you're feeling. I know what you're going through. I, and I know what I'm doing. I do care for you. Trust me. This is why we have to lament over and over and over again in our struggles, not just one time, because over and over and over again, we need to trust God. And then this is also why I would say it, it's important for us to be authentic, honest, whatever you want to say that word, with other people and invite them into our sorrows and struggles because they can then cry with us, turn to prayer for us, make requests known on our behalf and enable us or help us to keep trusting. That they, 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 they may be able to make the truth apply in a way where we don't feel like it is true or be able to say, yeah, I, I, I've walked through that as well or man, that is really difficult. Let, let's just pray about this. It's why it's so important for us to invite others in as well in the midst of our struggles. We're going to conclude a little differently than than normal this morning. Uh, I'm going to invite the the worship team up, uh, and they're going to lead us in in two songs this morning as we close. Uh, And we'll we'll stand and sing together after I pray for us here. But but here's what we're going to do. Um, I've asked some people as we're singing uh, to to just line up along the walls uh, to be able to be there, that, that you can walk over to them, and ask them to pray for you. It's an opportunity for us to give voice to our struggles and sorrows and to seek God's face and his grace in this room, even right, right now. Uh, I, I ask the elders to do this, not, not because the elders somehow can pray special prayers that, that other people can't, but, but because I, I want it to, to be this image of they care for you. You're, you're, you're not going to share any sorrow or struggle with them that's somehow going to be like, what? That they're going to be surprised by. Because actually every, every month, one of the things the elders do is gather together one time just to be able to pray for Keystone and specifically pray for struggles and sorrows that people might be walking through in Keystone, that God would reveal his face and pour out his grace in the midst of those things. So we're still going to have, uh, at the end, the pray for you people up here after we close the service, but, but I thought it would be helpful to provide that opportunity in the midst of the service as well. And, and I know that there can be this tension of like, well, if I go and walk, people are going to think I'm weak and needy, and that, that's the whole point. <laughs> that's who all of us are. And, and so I, it's just an opportunity where if you feel like I want someone else to, to be able to pray for me in the midst of this, we would love to have you take advantage of that. So let me pray for us and then invite us all to stand and sing. Father, we believe that you are faithful. We believe that you are wise. We believe that you are powerful. We believe that your love is steadfast and without end, even when it doesn't feel that way. And so God, I I pray that right now we'd be able to come to you, call out to you, remind ourselves of what is true and continue to trust you in the midst of whatever we're walking through. I pray this in Jesus' name.